Hey guys, happy Thursday. Welcome to Relatable. This episode, as all episodes, is brought to you by Good Ranchers. Better than organic chicken, craft beef, sent right to your front door. That's American meat delivered. Go to goodranchers.com slash Allie. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie. Okay, guys, today we are talking to one of my favorite people on the planet and definitely one of my favorite guests, and that is Victor Davis Hansen. He is a historian. He has been on this podcast several times, giving us his incredible political insight. Today, we're going to talk about a few things. We are going to talk a little bit more about the State of the Union. We're going to spend some time talking about Kamala Harris, like what the heck is she even saying or doing? And we are also going to talk about Ukraine and Russia. He's just got a lot of interesting things to say. I think he provides insight like no one else. I don't think that you can get the kind of wisdom that you get from Victor Davis Hanson from any other political commentator. And so I'm super excited for what you are going to gain from this conversation because it's a lot. But I'm going to talk about uh, at least one thing, maybe a couple things before we actually get into that conversation. It's a fairly quick conversation, about 30 minutes, then I'll have some things to say after it as well. But I saw this clip circulating that I wanted to show you guys from Ron DeSantis, Republican governor of Florida. I know a lot of you guys really love him, as do I. He has really been leading the way against the COVID, the anti-scientific COVID hysteria. He, his attorney, or not his attorney general, but his uh, surgeon general in Florida have really been trying to push the actual science when it comes to vaccination and when it comes to masks and mask mandates. They have really been pushing against mandatory masking in schools because they know the data just doesn't support that nonsense. And so he was at an event yesterday and there were kids behind him for this event where he was giving a speech and they were wearing masks and he says just stop it so let me play you that clip you do not have to wear those masks i mean please take (laughs) honestly it's not doing anything and we got to stop with this covid theater so if you want to wear it fine but this is a this is ridiculous all right well it's good to be at usf (laughs) So he was obviously genuinely frustrated there. And I actually love that. I love that the frustration with the COVID theater is genuine. That means he feels like you and I do. Like we feel the same frustration about that. When we see kids wearing masks, we want to say the same thing. A lot of times we don't. I actually know some people who do say something. I think one of you guys messaged me that you said something to someone in a grocery store who's like three-year-old child was wearing a mask. And then when you saw them again, they weren't wearing a mask. And so I'm not saying that we need to like pry into people's lives. I believe in the people having the option to do what they want to do. I completely disagree with you masking your child. And I don't think the mask over your mouth and nose is doing anything either. Uh, but I just, I liked that he was this frustrated. I saw some people saying, you know, this is the kind of nagging tone that conservatives don't like from the left when it comes Uh, From the other direction, you know, nagging people, finger wagging, saying you need to wear masks. And Ron DeSantis is kind of doing that, too, except for on the other side. 
And I just, I don't see it that way. I think that he is on the correct side, obviously, and he's on the scientific side, and he's tired of seeing these meaningless virtue signals when it comes to kids. And it also, just to be fair, it's not necessarily a great look because he has fought against the the masking of children, and then he's at this event, and children are being masked behind him, or teenagers, rather. Some of these kids, when he says this, they take off the masks, and they kind of smile at the camera and I'm like I love it and then you have other kids who I think are like dutifully standing there and they have their masks on and they're not going to take their mask off and what's sad is I've heard from several of you that your child not your child but kids in maybe your child's class even after masks have become optional that they are continuing to wear them yes because there has been psychological damage that has been inflicted on kids for the past couple of years where they're paranoid, they're scared, even though their little flimsy cloth Spider-Man mask isn't doing anything, their parent has told them, this is how you protect yourself from dying. This is how you protect mommy and daddy and grandma and grandpa from dying. This is how you be a good person. Um, The people who don't wear a mask are bad people. And this is a virus out there that could kill you if you don't wear this mask. And so, of course, that's just going to go away. Kids can't even process how all of a sudden the science changed to where they don't have to wear this apparently life-saving device that is indicative of their love for people. And so you are going to see kids, teenagers, unfortunately, wear these masks for a long time. We've talked about many times the consequences of covering your uh, mouth when you're trying to communicate and understand people's emotions. I don't even think we can quantify the negative ramifications that this will have on kids for years to come. I say good for Ron DeSantis. I like this attitude about masking kids from him. This to me was a point in his favor. I don't care what people say that they didn't like the tone. You know what? This has been going on for too long. It's about time someone took it seriously. And again, reflected the frustrations that we have. So you know what? Good for Ron DeSantis. I like Ron DeSantis. We were just talking before the camera turned on whether or not we think that Ron DeSantis is going to run for president. Look, I think Trump has made it pretty clear that he is going to run. I think he made it clear on this show. He basically said, you know, I don't I I can't announce anything because of different rules, but I think you're going to be very happy. That's what he told us when I interviewed him. If you haven't listened to that, you definitely should. It's a very intriguing, very Trump, Trump interview, if you know what I mean. Um, So I think that he is going to run. If I am Ron DeSantis, I probably don't want to run against Donald Trump. Look, Donald Trump is going to play dirty. It doesn't matter how much he may have liked you before. If you are his opponent, like he is going to get down into the mud. And that could possibly hurt a person's political career forever. Maybe not, but it possibly could. And Ron DeSantis probably doesn't want to pit supporters of him against supporters of Donald Trump or himself against supporters of Donald Trump. And he's doing really well as the governor of Florida. I'm thinking that he might be thinking, I have no idea, I don't have any special insight into this, but he might be thinking, you know what, I'm going to give Florida four more years, I'm going to get overwhelmingly reelected, which I think he absolutely will, so why don't I just stay here and we'll see what happens, I mean, he's young, he's in his early 40s, that is like... That is several lifetimes younger than Joe Biden, who was alive during the Civil War. So I think that, you know, he might have some cushion. On the other hand, maybe he should take advantage of the momentum that he has right now. And maybe he should just go for it. I don't know. Thank goodness I'm not a political advisor. 
I just know that I like the guy. He seems like a fighter to me. He has been on the right side of every issue that I've seen so far. As Florida governor, I don't think we ever put too much hope and too much stock in any politician. Uh, But I like what I see so far. I do hope that one day we see him as president of the United States. I think that would be a huge blessing. As of right now, that's my vantage. That's my vantage point. That's that's what I see. And I just liked I liked this clip. I liked his frustration because I feel the same way, Ron DeSantis. All right. Before we get into our fascinating conversation with Victor Davis Hanson, let me tell you about our first sponsor for the day. That is my Patriot Supply. All right. You guys feel like. World, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. You don't know what's going to happen. People are buying land. People are prepping like they never have before. They, are we going to go through some kind of apocalypse? What the heck is going to happen? Well, it is always better to be safe than sorry. The fact of the matter is we don't know what's going to happen. You want to make sure that your family is prepared. You want to make sure that your family has enough food to eat in case of severe food shortages or some kind of emergency. The time to start planning is always now. That's why we have emergency food for my family and my Patriot Supply is a great source for this. I encourage you to get some from them. They are America's largest preparedness company. Right now, you can save $150 off their three-month emergency food kit. Plus, you can get free shipping. These kits will feed one person for three months or three people for one month with a wide variety of delicious foods so you never get bored. Go to preparewithally.com right now to claim your $150 savings off each kit that you order. I would get multiple and you get that savings on every single kit that you buy. So make sure to take advantage of that. Act quickly. The world feels like it is going to go off the cliff any day now. So you might as well order this today. Go to preparewithally.com for that discount. That's preparewithally.com. Thank you so much for joining us again. I am curious about your reaction, your response to what seemed to me as an appeal to the center or center right during Biden's State of the Union when he talked about funding the police, securing the border, buying American, opening the schools, all these things that I think you and I agree with, but he doesn't actually seem to agree with when you look at his policies. Why do you think that he decided on that approach when it came to the State of the Union? Well, I mean, he just threw out, it would be as if as conservatives and we were up for, we were politicians and we were up for re-election uh, in the sense of our party was in the midterms. And we knew the conservatives are gonna be wiped out because then nobody liked our agenda and yet we wouldn't change it. We would say, uh, we want to raise taxes, I agree with that. Or we would say things like, uh, we've got to embrace the new Green Deal. But we wouldn't give any details and we mm. wouldn't mean it. They were just Phillips, just throw out lines. And that's what he was doing. Because if he really meant that, he would have given a systemic uh, analysis. You could have said like the German chancellor, we've got to produce more nuclear power. We've got to open up Anwar. We've got to open new leases on federal lands for gas and oil fracking. He could have said we need the Keystone pipeline to be completed. We need more liquid natural gas uh, terminals to help Europe out. We can okay the East Med pipeline with Israel, Cyprus. In Greece, it'll bring billions of cubic feet of natural gas to Italy. He didn't do any of that because he doesn't He doesn't believe it. He doesn't want to. And he knows if he, even if he wanted to, he couldn't because 
he made a devil's bargain um, in 2020 with the hard left. And the deal was that Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or Cory Booker or Kamala Harris could not be elected. And he had a veneer of moderation that they didn't. And then they went to him and said, you can't win without us. And so you carry us over the finish line. You get to be president. We get the agenda. And I think that's where we are. Yeah, you know, that actually leads perfectly to my next question, because I've heard you talk about this before, this kind of Faustian bargain that got Biden elected. And just from the outside, I looked at the primary and I said, I'm not sure how it's possible how you come in fourth in the Iowa caucus and then somehow you become the nominee. Can you talk a little bit more um, about that? I know you said that, okay, it was kind of the hard left saying we know that we can't get elected. You can. So basically... They said you have to kind of represent the issues that we represent. We just kind of need your face and good old trustworthy Joe to win the election. And then you can kind of govern from the left. In in your estimation, that's kind of why he has governed the way that he has, right? Yeah, I think when he went into South Carolina and was going to lose the nomination probably, and then Nevada after, then James Clyburn pretty much told him we're going to get a monolithic African-American vote, 30 or 40 percent of the electorate. And they were not going to vote for Pete Buttigieg. They were not going to vote for Beto had dropped out. So they told Joe Biden, you're going to be the minority back candidate, but we expect certain things of you. And you're not going to go back to the old Joe Biden from Scranton that used to talk about tough on crime or your mother was endangered by criminal predators or drug addict, none of that anymore. And so that's what he, and I, you know, when we're talking about Joe Biden, it's kind of cruel to say, but that's kind of a construct. Joe Biden is 79. He's a very old 79. Some people 79 or 59 and some are 99. And Joe happens to be one that's 99. Right. And so to the degree that he knows exactly what predicament he's in, I think it's overseen or arranged by Jill Jill Biden, his wife, and Ron Klain, his chief of staff. And I think the Obamas play a prominent role as well. Yeah. I'm curious kind of what Kamala thinks of all of this, because if you watch her, even during the State of the Union, there was one point, I don't know if everyone who's listening to this caught this, when he said something about the spirit of the Iranian people. Yes. And and he meant to say Ukraine, and she was behind him, and she just kind of mouthed Ukrainian. And it seems to me, at least behind the mask that she's typically wearing, that she is really biting her tongue when Joe Biden says stuff like this. There was, after um, his Supreme Court nominee, she gave a speech the other day, and Joe Biden got up and he said, oh, I forgot to introduce the second gentleman, and it feels really strange saying that. I mean, he said that publicly, which is just kind of awkward. And you could just see Kamala Harris kind of gritting her teeth, trying not to say anything. I don't know if you have any special insight, but what do you think that she's thinking as she sees this person who is basically a puppet trying to lead the free world? Well, I think she's saying that she feels that she is playing a a very important role because remember he did with her what he did with our latest chief uh, Supreme Court justice right. nomination. He said it was have a black woman, and when you when you surveyed the landscape of prominent senators or governors that usually are nominated for vice presidents, that she was the only person available really, and she feels that she's done him a great favor, and she feels also that he's an embarrassment, but 
he also she's angry at him because she's kind of playing the role. You remember Susan Rice mm. and during the Benghazi, just to take one example, whenever there was a mess, Hillary didn't go out there and Obama himself didn't go out there and they would get Susan Rice and she would go out and lie about Benghazi five times in one day. Mm. She would, you know, she would tell everybody that, oh, this was a, uh, you know, it was not Al Qaeda. It was not. It was just a spontaneous riot, et cetera, et cetera. Mad about a video rather than a hit. And she lied and downplayed. And then when it was about Syria, she said, um, you know, all the WMD are out. They weren't. She knew that. And et cetera, et cetera. So the in Kamala Harris's frame of mind, she's a black woman and they use her to do the dirty work to damage her. And that means they, they send her to the border or they know that she knows nothing about foreign affairs. So they send her over to, to bulk up NATO or they have her explain to children almost in a kind of like a infantile fashion. This is a Ukraine. It's a, it's a country in Europe yes. and it's not as big. And then there's Russia and it makes her look foolish. And so I think they get back. I have they have a very sick relationship. I think she is her staff hints that Joe is not capable cognitively. And his staff says that she is, but she doesn't know anything. Mm. And it's and she's done him a great favor in a way that's kind of perverse in the sense that she's playing the role of when I was younger, Spiro Agnew. And that everybody thought Nixon should resign. But until Spiro Agnew suddenly was indicted for all of this fraud when he was involved in Baltimore politics. Nobody wanted to have Nixon resign that year because they thought Agnew just couldn't and shouldn't and would never conceivably be president. And they kind of thought that Nixon was smirking and had appointed him for that reason in case he ever got in trouble. They would, you don't want a good, strong vice president. And of course, when Nixon had to go, then all of a sudden there were federal attorneys that came out of nowhere and said, oh, by the way, I remember that way, way back when uh, Spiro Agnew was a crook and we just found out new information. So we're going to try him. And then he had to resign. As soon as he resigned, they could impeach Nixon. Uh, And they got a new vice president that was suitable, Jerry Ford. But uh, I think that's she does him a great favor if. If you had a mainstream, democratic mainstream, I don't know who that would be. I'm not fond of very many of them, but say somebody like Chuck Schumer was vice president right now. There would be a lot of calls for Biden within the party to step down. Right. But they but they know that Kamala Harris is an electoral disaster. She didn't get one vote, not one vote in the primaries, not one delegate, not one delegate. And they know that. And there's a reason why. She's off-putting. She's socially inept. She she has no frame of knowledge or reference to to, to seem experienced or or detailed or knowledgeable. It's, it's sad. But right. here in California, anybody who watched her career knew that she never really had to go out into the arena, so to speak, and debate people and and show and be judged on her merit. She was either a consort of Willie Brown and got appointed to all these. Uh, state boards, and then she got the San Francisco elite to get her financer to be city, or and then county attorney, and then attorney general. So it was always handed to her. Yeah, 
Right. I've heard a lot of people that know a lot about California politics just express their shock. Even Democrats say that they were shocked when she was a appointed to this position. Um, not that they were surprised that Joe Biden would make this pick, but just looking at her career, how she got to where she is, it's just kind of crazy, yeah. but unfortunately to be expected. Uh, she recently was giving a, spe- a speech, and we don't have the clip right now, um, where she amazingly said, I'm sure Republicans are going to use this in their campaign ads, who said, you know, uh, when you vote, you order for something. And right now the American people are getting what they ordered in voting for Joe Biden. Now, of course, that means, okay, they ordered inflation, uh, inflation, they ordered unrest, they ordered to pay more uh, at the gas pump and having a harder time feeding their family. And so I guess they ordered all of those things and they got it. Uh, what do you what do you think of that? Is this just another example of her just kind of being politically incompetent? I mean, what was going through her mind, do you think, when she actually said that out loud? Well, I think she I think you're you're right that she's politically incompetent, but there's a side of all of us who think, well, she's not that politically incompetent. In other words, when Joe Biden gives these addresses how great everything is going and she knows they're not, then she says, Well, you got everything you wanted and he's he's not gonna go say to her, What do you mean? And she's gonna say to him, well, you just went through all the things you've done, your great inflation, your great energy spikes, your great Afghanistan <laughs> flight, your your great open border. So I'm just doing what you do, supporting you. And she knows right. that when she says it, it's an indirect criticism, sarcastic of him. But yeah. I, there's some part of that, I think. I think it's going to get, if the midterms come out as they are, and, that, and if Joe Biden... He seems to be, I don't want to be too cruel, but he seems to be declining geometrically rather than arithmetically. And by that, I mean every two-week period, he seems more flustered than he was the two-week period before and before. And if that coincides in November and they lose 60 seats, say, or five or six Senates, there's going to be a big call in that Democratic Party to do something because they they have a... they're going to look at something that could be like 1932, where they they don't just lose the House and Senate in 2022, but they lose them in 2024 with super majorities in the Senate and huge margins in the House and a Republican president that could do almost anything they wanted. There'd be no way to stop them. And they know that. And so they're going to have to take measures and i don't know they're not to that point yet they don't turn on the squad that got them in this trouble they won't question Sam, bernie sanders elizabeth warren or those people but i think in the midterm it's going to be pretty clear what these people have done to them yeah i think that's probably part of the reason at least in my opinion why a lot of these democratic states are rolling back on the mask mandates and the restrictions yes. that they say were rooted in science. I guess the science has changed <laughs> in a matter of a week or so. The science on masks changed the day before the State of the Union and Congress, of course. Um, it seems to be all kind of playing into that, that they know a lot of the things that they have done are deeply unpopular. They want to be able to win the midterms. The State of the Union, to me, he was it was a fake appeal to the center right, just like his campaign. He wanted them to believe that He's moderate. Um, It also showed me that he understands that the majority of Americans are still pretty conservative. I mean, you don't give a State of the Union where you talk about funding the police and securing the border and buying American unless you think a large portion of your 
audience is going to get on board with that and be excited about that. My fear is that we have a lot of Americans who are going to be duped yet again into thinking Democrats are moderate, that this is the only way to save democracy and that they are going to forget the heck that we've been through over the past few years, largely because of Democratic policies. I mean, what are the chances, do you think, uh, are of people kind of forgetting the blunder that is Joe Biden and the Democratic Party and come midterm say, you know what, life is pretty good now. Things are back to normal. I think I am going to continue to vote Democrat and support Joe Biden. Well, you know, I can only as a historian, I just look at what Bill Clinton did. He got wiped out in the 92 midterm. It's terrible. Almost as bad as Barack Obama. And it was largely because of Hillary care. And then he triangulated. He he had Dick Morris sneak in the back of the White House every day. And he came out in his State of the Union after that election and said that, you know, the era of big government is over. We're going to have a thousand, hundred thousand police officers on the street. We're going to uh, pay for school uniforms. These were all, you know, just fluff stuff but he did he did ban the hard left for a while and then he got over he overwhelmingly reelected same thing happened to Barack Obama he got wiped out even more so in the midterms over the way he rammed in uh, Obamacare and while he didn't quite triangulate he did do he he didn't open the border like Biden did and he railed and railed about um you know, fossil fuels, but he he didn't cut back on leases to the same degree. And so what I'm getting at is that two things. One, Biden is not going to do what they did in any material way. He's going to still he he's a cap. They weren't a captive. They ran at that time. There was something called uh, a centrist base in the Democratic Party. Obama was afraid of it. Clinton counted on it. And there that doesn't exist anymore. And so I think Biden, there's no there's no reason for him to actually go through with all of these little talking points that he thinks appeals to independence. He won't do it. They won't let him do it in the way that Clinton did. And the other thing is the media is very different today. During in 1994 and five, there was no Internet like we know it. Even in 2010, there wasn't I mean, there wasn't a Joe Rogan or mm-hmm. there wasn't uh, all of these what we're doing now. And so I think there's so many outlets now that are not network news or PBS or New York Times or NPR that they can't control. And so the word gets out just how phony Joe Biden is. And before you couldn't really, you know, there wasn't a way the general public didn't have access to the same amount of of conservative thought that they do now. And so I think I don't think anybody's going to be. There's a third thing, too whatever we think of the politics of Bill Clinton or Barack Obama, when every one of their issues was underwater, and they were and for the first two years, they had a youthful, charismatic presence, and they were mellifluous on, this, on the uh, teleprompter. Mm-hmm. And so they could nullify uh, the downside by their, you know, they always, if you look at the polls, they always personally polled higher than their issues. And the, the exact opposite is true of Joe Biden. He is a force multiplier of his unpopular mm. issues. People see him and he, he has, uh, I'm 68, so I want to be very careful, but he has this old man angry look yes. where it's sort of like, 
you know, when I was a little boy, that's kind of a stereotype. We'd go into town and we'd all ride bikes and cut across the lawn. We shouldn't have done it of a, of a retired couple. And this guy would come out and he would just get off my ground. You know, he'd just yell. <laughs> yes. And he, he would grimace. And we, I felt bad for him. But that's what Joe Biden does. He he squints, he yells yes. and, he, and he gets angry and he has the wrong intonations. And then he tries to he just makes everybody think, well, I don't like the issues. But I really don't like him. Right. And the, before it was, well, I don't like the issues, but Barack Obama's our first African-American president. He's young and he, he cuts a good figure on the national stage. Or Clinton's a good old boy from Arkansas, kind of a nasty, naughty little guy, but he's ours. And, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But you don't get any of that with Joe Biden. It's yeah. entirely negative. And that's not just because of his age and uh, cognitive challenges. He was never that way. I think a lot of people think, well, I remember the good old Joe. I don't. I remember the plagiarist in the, two th in the 1988 campaign. I remember the guy who said to Obama, you're the first clean, articulate black that ran for office. I, re I remember put you all in change. I remember the corn pop stories. I remember him defaming the person, that tragic accident where his first wife was killed. I remember him blaming the truck driver and telling the nation the guy was drunk when he wasn't wow. and it wasn't his fault. He did a lot of nasty, bad things. And that's aside from the whole Hunter Biden, Tara Reid, all the personal problems. So I just don't think that he's going to, by force of his person, be able to nullify the unpopularity of his policies. And even uh, Barack Obama said, never underestimate Joe Biden's ability to <laughs> F things up. And I think we've seen that. And strangely enough, Jin Psaki seems to be kind of admitting that. I want to play you this clip and get your reaction to it. I was at the State Department. The president was the vice president the last time Russia invaded Ukraine. This is a pattern of horror from this president, from President Putin <laughs> and from the cronies around him. Okay, so we've got a pattern here. Apparently, Putin only invades when Joe Biden is in office, and she thought that that was a good point to make. Yeah, I think the Democrats, I mean, they've been, the, the conservatives have been relentless. Even the, the, They even include 2008 because they're not fond of George W. Bush, but they say, look, 2008, oil prices were high. We were bogged down in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. Putin goes into Georgia. And then 2014, our oil prices are high. Uh, Obama has the hot mic. He appeases, brings the Russians into the Middle East for the first time to 40 years, promises to, to dismantle missile defense, and he goes into Ukraine and Crimea. And then he does it in 2022, and the oil prices are high. And we d we talk loud with a little twig. So we say, please don't hack 16 companies or something. That's what uh, Biden did in January. Yes. Or yes. please, 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 Vladimir, pump more oil. And then they look at that four-year period with Trump. And they've told the nation that he colluded. He, I think John Brennan called him treasonous. James Clapper said he was a Russian asset. And then lo and behold, they look at it and they think, wow. How do we spin this? He didn't go in for four years anywhere. And it, was it possible that it was because Trump killed a bunch of mercenaries in Syria or got out of an asymmetrical missile deal? Or he pumped a lot of oil and he crashed the price or he upped the defense budget or jawbone NATO into spending $100 million or kept the sanctions on the, the oligarchs or sold offensive javelin missiles to 
Ukraine, and, and, the, and it just drives them crazy. So now they've come up with a really bizarre, if you've seen it. Well, yeah, he didn't invade during the four years of Trump, but we know why. It was because he got everything he wanted from Trump. So there was no reason to invade, whereas he didn't get anything. And I'm thinking, well, what did he get? He was so happy that we got a, happy, a bigger defense budget. He was delighted that, that NATO spent hundred extra million dollars. He was tickled to death that we got out of a missile treaty that favored Putin. He really wanted more javelins in Ukraine. I mean, it's, it's absurd. Okay, quick break to tell you guys about our next sponsor for the day, and that is Paint Your Life. Paint Your Life is a really cool service. All you have to do is you upload the picture that you want to be turned into a painting. Maybe it's a family picture. Maybe it's your wedding picture. Maybe it's even just a landscape. It can really be anything. You upload your picture to paintyourlife.com, and then professional painters will take the picture, and they will turn it into a painting the size of your choosing, and they'll ship it to your front door, and then you just have this beautiful keepsake, or it works as a great gift, too, um, and it really is so meaningful. So you get a professional hand-painted portrait created from any photo at a truly affordable price. You choose from a team of world-class artists and work with them until every detail is perfect. It's a very user-friendly platform. You don't have to be super technologically knowledgeable. You certainly don't have to have any artistic expertise. That is what they're there for. They make custom-made hand-painted portraits in less than five minutes uh, while well, you order it in less than five minutes. It takes them a little bit longer to paint it, but it only takes them about two weeks. So it's super quick. So send any picture and they will turn it into the painting. It makes the perfect birthday anniversary or wedding gift meaningful, personal. It can be cherished forever. So make sure you go to paintyourlife.com. There's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, you can get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word RELATABLE to 64000. That's RELATABLE to 64000. Text RELATABLE to 64000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. Terms apply available at paintyourlife.com slash terms. Again, that's text relatable to 64,000. Can you, I know this is a big question and you could probably spend hours explaining all of this to us, but just in the next few minutes, can you kind of summarize your thoughts about what is going on in Ukraine and Joe Biden's response to it? There are so many mixed messages, competing narratives, a lot of skepticism, I think, from the right about the messages that we are hearing about Ukraine and kind of how uh, involved in this we need to be, how focused on this as an American people we need to be, how significant is what's going on between Ukraine and Russia and what do you think about America's response to yeah, it so I, far? I, see, I think I'm, uh, conservatives have to be really careful yeah. because the left is watching what they say and the left wants to get out of their jam. And their jam is that they appeased Putin and they gave him everything they, he wanted. And as we just said, he moved. OK, so if you say, well, that's not our business in Ukraine or uh, Putin has historical ties with Ukraine in a way that we don't quite understand, or the Ukrainians are corrupt, 
That's all true. And they've interfered with our politics. Lieutenant Colonel Venman was offered the Ministry of Defense and the phone call impeachment. And at least Putin is strong. If you do that, what you're doing is you're building up a sympathetic case for someone who's a thug and a killer. And so I think the better way of if you're a conservative is to say, we didn't create this mess. We wanted to pump oil. We believe in deterrence. We wouldn't have got into the mess in Afghanistan as you did. We would not have ever had a hot mic exchange and, and tried to make a deal about our reelection the way Obama did. We would have never allowed him to continue to hack the way he did in Obama. We wouldn't beg anybody to pump oil because we would pump oil. And we are the quiet ones that carry a big stick. We're not the loud ones that don't have deterrence. And then I think we should say, Putin is an irredentist. That's a fancy word, as you remember, for what Mussolini was doing in the 30s or Hitler. And the idea that you have lost territories that no matter how they've evolved, they're all going to come back into the center. And it never works. It didn't work with Milosevic in Serbia. It didn't work with Mussolini. It won't work with Putin. But that's what he wants to do. And he's an opportunist. And every time he sees oil prices high where he gets money and people need energy or the president is weak and he talks tough in lieu of having real power or metal or NATO is squabbling, they're not meeting their 2% or Germany's cutting an, uh, an energy, he, he moves 2008, 2014 and now. And it was predictable what he's gonna do. And so I think that's what we have to say. And we we're very interested in this because He's got nuclear weapons and he's trying to feign. I think he's feigning that he's crazy and he could use them if anybody supplies mm. uh, Ukraine, the NATO countries, etc. So we have to be very careful to deter him. And there's people who are watching this arena and they are the Iranians that are wondering, hmm, we're about a year away from a bomb. And we once we get that bomb, we're probably thinking about using it against Israel. But what's the reaction to the world to Ukraine? And then there's mm -hmm. the Chinese. Right. And they're thinking, well, this was supposed to be a, a, a five day invasion. He was supposed to go in like he did with Crimea or Eastern Europe or Georgia, Eastern Ukraine or Georgia, decapitate Zelensky's uh, government, take over the country present the world with a fate accompli, uh, get a lot of pride and uh, patriotism in Russia, scare the hell out of NATO, uh, tell Germany, do you want me to cut off your your oil? Because I can do it, and now I'm right next to NATO. I, I got Ukraine. That's what was supposed to happen. Mm. And it may happen. And if it happens in a year from now, he won't care how many people he kills or is killed. He will just tell the world, Ukraine is mine. I'm the first Russian to get it back since the Cold War. And I can do this again and again and again. And it may be messy, but you better be very careful, NATO. And that, that's what he's thinking. And he's right about that. That will have a that all these brave speeches we see today in Europe, if he gets away with this a year from now, uh, and he owns that whole 44 million person country, people in Europe are going to be saying, okay, okay, we'll buy oil from you. Okay, uh, we'll be helpful. We'll, we won't do this with NATO. And so that's what he's counting on. And the Chinese are looking at this and they're saying, hmm, we were going to go into Taiwan, but if what if the Taiwanese fought with 
like the Ukrainians? And what if the Americans or the Australians or the South Koreans or the Japanese flooded that country with javelins and stingers like they're trying to in Ukraine? And what do we got? We got bogged down for five or six days. And what if the world sanctioned us like they're sanctioning Russia? And what if they went all out of expatriate Chinese billionaires all over the world like they're going after the oligarchs? And what if they deported all of our students? So maybe we better just sit back a little bit and watch what happens because we expected like the Russians that the West would continue to appease us and Putin. So there's a lot at stake. And I think in the next week or so, we'll find out what's going on. It's a very strange war because usually every journalist in the world, whether it's in the Middle East or whether it's in Afghanistan or Iraq or Libya or the Balkan Wars, they flock there and we would get these, you know, correspondence on the front lines, but we're not getting any news. And then we just get this picture of this long corridor and it's, we're told that, you know, it's going to encircle Kiev, but it hasn't yet. Yeah. And we're told that this is the pro this would be an ideal target for these javelins with a two and a half mile range. And what I'm getting at is, on the one hand, we're told that 15,000 javelins are pouring in, but obviously they're not there or they'd be used. So something's going on. And I think right. what's going on is uh, it's very difficult for that country who that was surprised. It did not have stockpiles of weapons. We didn't send them very much at all after Trump left office. And just now they're, they're scrambling to get anti-tank and anti-aircraft weaponry to stop this. But I don't. And the question will be, do they will they have enough? Uh, in the next three days, and will they have enough skilled people to use them to, to make a difference? And if they don't, Putin's going to win. And let's mm -hmm. hope he doesn't. But I think it's very important for conservatives to see that uh, for all the left's contortions, uh, they are scrambling to turn it back on conservatives. They were the ones that created the landscape and the environment that allowed Putin to go in there. They were the ones that both uh, cooked up the Russian collusion hopes, the Alpha Banka, the steel dossier that enraged him, and then they were the ones that appeased him, appeased him and gave him the oil revenue that made him powerful. So they created an angry, powerful uh, dictator. And because that dictator uh, criticizes the excess of the West sometimes, or seems like the left really hates him, that should not allow conservatives to get fooled and go in in some way, uh, say something that can be interpreted that they're pro-Putin. That is disastrous for the conservatives' cause if they do that. Yes, and unfortunately, I've seen a little bit of that, but I do think I have. Yes, I have too. yes, I do think the majority of conservatives, though, see exactly what you're saying, or at least they, um, their instincts are in the direction of what you're articulating. So I appreciate your insight so much today, as always. Thank you very much for taking the time to come on. Thank you for having me. Okay, guys, I know you loved that conversation. He is amazing. Last sponsor for the day is Annie's Kit Clubs. So they are celebrating March as National Craft Month by offering their best deal ever. They send you a new kit every month with all the materials and directions you need to make a project. And this month, you can get your month for their lowest price ever. Ever. So Annie's Kit Clubs makes it easy to keep your kids creative and engaged with hands-on projects. If you're not sure which of the three kids clubs they'll like best, now is the perfect time to try because they can get their 
first kit up to 100% off. Just pay shipping. It's not just kids clubs either. They've got Andy's Creative Woman's Club as well, just for you. They have 25 different kit clubs. So no matter your age or your interest, you can find the right subscription for you and get your first month of any club for up to 100% off plus shipping. Wow, that's an amazing deal. All subscriptions are month to month. You can cancel at any time. Just go to annieskitclubs.com slash Allie. Get your first kit for up to 100% off. That's annieskitclubs.com slash Allie for their best deal ever. annieskitclubs.com slash Allie. All right, so there was so much more that I wanted to talk to him about. He's got a really interesting podcast, The Victor Davis Hanson Show, that I recommend to you. And I was listening to it, and he was saying a lot of really interesting things. And I, one thing that I didn't get to ask him about that I've heard him say before is that President Putin actually has donated, has funneled money into um, environmental causes in the United States. And this ties back to kind of what we were talking about in there about the Faustian bargain that Joe Biden made with the far left so that he could become the nominee and he could then represent their policies so that he could look like he was going to be a moderate guy during the election, get elected, you know, win the nomination, then win the general election. But then he was going to actually govern to the left, which is exactly what he has done. And one of the issues that is important to the progressive left and the Democratic Party is climate change and also the various corporations and organizations that are funding the Democratic Party. This is one of their main priorities. Which is why I believe on the first day, if not the first week of Joe Biden's presidency, he shut down the Keystone XL pipeline, which, of course, helped us um, and was going to help us remain energy independent. We were energy independent under Donald Trump. We were relying on ourselves for oil. And Joe Biden ensured that we would become energy dependent. So we would be relying on Russia for oil and more on the Middle East for our oil. That is ethically problematic for a variety of reasons, but also it puts us in this situation right now where we are trying to deter Russia, but we are unwilling to sanction their oil industry, which is actually lining their pockets and funding the invasion of Ukraine because we are afraid of how that will affect our allies in Europe and also how that will affect the United States. Well, if we were energy independent and we were the ones not just relying on our own oil, but also exporting the oil to these European countries, we wouldn't be in the mess that we're in. So he, um, because of environmentalism, and I would say the facade of environmentalism, Joe Biden has made the choice that he has made in shutting down the gas pipelines uh, in the United States, much of the gas pipelines in the United States and ending the federal sales of um, oil and gas, as we talked about a few days ago with Josh Hammer. So... A lot of you have been asking, though, uh, why why do this? If you say that you care about climate change and you say that fracking and these pipelines are bad for the climate, how does it make any sense to then just rely even more on uh, on these foreign regimes and these foreign powers for our oil? Isn't that even worse for the climate because they're having to ship the oil a longer way to the United States in order to get it here? Because the demand for and gas remains the same. It's not like there's now less oil. It's just that we are depending on these other countries for our oil. And doesn't that increase like our carbon footprint even more that we're relying on this foreign oil? And of course, the answer is yes. And if you're wondering why, why is that? If you say you care about the climate, then why are you doing that? That's because climate policy in the United States is largely fake. 
It's all—it's a facade. It's not real. They say that they care about the climate. John Kerry cares about the climate. They're always flying private. They don't care about their own cli- uh, uh, carbon footprint in the same way that all of the rich people who say that they care about, you know, the penguins in Antarctica, they have a huge carbon footprint because they live in these mansions. They all fly private. They all do these things that... Uh, you know, uh, take up a, a lot of space and use a lot of resources and energy, but they want you to believe that you, the, you know, stay-at-home mom that lives on the farm because you have too many kids, that you're the one that's actually damaging the client, uh, the climate. And they want to try to control your life and they want to make your life harder, saying that it is in the name of trying to, you know, deter climate change, but they're not willing to make any changes in their life. It's all fake. We rely on foreign oil, not because that actually helps the the climate in any way, but so we can look like we are helping the climate by shutting down our own pipelines. But as we've seen, that leads to all that leads to all kinds of problems, not just domestically, but also in our foreign affairs. Um, And so it's just I don't know how else to explain it. Climate policy in the United States is a fraud. It's a fake. And it actually ends up hurting you. It is actually hurting your bank account right now. And that is why Putin, um, at least in the Obama administration, actually said that he supported America's commitment to environmentalism. Of course, of course he does, because that means that we rely and the world relies on Russia for oil. And that makes sure that he has more money. Again, that is funding the invasion that he is conducting right now. So it all comes back to if America really wants to be strong, what I think a strong America is better for the world, then we need to be self-reliant. And Joe Biden has actively worked against that self-reliance. And this also ties into our reliance on China. There's a lot there. Um, But just realize that when Joe Biden says that he is committed to all of these things that he thinks is going to make America stronger, He and his party and even some people in the Republican Party, we can tie this all into the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset as well, are actually committed to a weak America. Um, A weak America is actually necessary, I believe, for the new world order that uh, the World Economic Forum is set on. And I will link some past episodes on that. I wish that was just some giant conspiracy theory and that I had no idea what I was talking about. Unfortunately, it's not. Um, I think this president is certainly committed to that. Um, And then there was even more that I wanted to talk about with him. But I just wanted to mention that at the end, because a lot of you guys have been asking me how it makes sense, the decisions that Joe Biden has been making when it comes to not sanctioning Russia's oil industry and also not relying on our own oil. That's the answer that I have for you. Um, All right. If you could please leave the show a five star review wherever you listen, that would mean so much to us. Thank you guys for listening and for watching on YouTube. I hope you have a great, wonderful weekend and we will be back here on Monday.